Hi, everyone. I'm here with uh, Neri Patel. He's the co-owner of Fit20 in the UK. Hi, hi, Neri. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Doug, for having me on your podcast. No, it's a pleasure. Um, I'm I'm keen to find out more about Fit20 uh, because it seems a, a a really interesting concept and um, not one that I've actually seen seen before. So um, why don't we start right there? Do you want to do you want to tell tell me a bit about the concept behind Fit20 and how you got involved? That that would be great. Sure. In terms of um, how I got involved. A good friend of mine in the Netherlands, who's a very successful entrepreneur, called me up in January 2016 and said, there's this amazing Dutch business that's sweeping across the Netherlands. It's gone into the, um, Belgium and they're poised for international expansion. We think, given your background, Neri, with franchising and your passion and knowledge for health and wellness, it would be an amazing business for you to get involved in in the UK. And I said, oh. Thank you. I'm complimented because this individual had the fastest growing payroll bureau in the Netherlands for six straight years. And then he sold that to wow. private equity. Um, so very successful individual. And when somebody who's successful in business um, tells you to look at something, the least you can do is some due diligence to actually rule out why it's not a good opportunity. So I, I was intrigued and curious um, off the back of his credibility, first and foremost. And then uh, we were on a zoom call like this and he showed me a picture of what looked like a gym and i told him to get lost because my perception of gym businesses is huge spaces massive overheads related to that and um, a revolving door of memberships where everybody signs up in january you can't get a space in the car park and then come february you think am i in the right place is this place shut so uh whilst i was into my health and fitness i, I didn't like that model um but he um he suggested I might want to go to the Netherlands and actually meet the team and experience the workout. And that's what I did. And when I met the team there with Walter Vendel um, and Bram Kroska, who are the two co-founders there, and I actually tried the workout, I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is something I would do myself. I'd, I was approaching my 50s, uh, well, 50. And um, at the time, I was doing what I would call high volume, high impact stuff, running, kickboxing, and uh, picking up injuries every week. And I was spending as much time exercising, trying to be fit and healthy, as I was recuperating and repairing the damage I was uh, regularly doing. And I found a way that I thought, actually, I can get the same benefit of doing this sort of exercise in a lot less time without the injuries and the impact. What's not to like? I'll certainly be a paying customer. And my wife, Catherine, said, you do realize that if we don't take the rights for this franchise, somebody else will take it in the UK, more than likely in the Southeast, and it'll take a while to move to Yorkshire, which is where I live. So we thought, you know what, we like the product enough. Um, we can see that there's a good business case here. And most importantly, we felt strongly that if we did take it on, it was something that would make a huge difference to a lot of people that were underserved. Um, the sort of cash-rich, time-poor, 40-plus um, successful type of person, but uh, possibly the more successful they were becoming, the more the health conditions were building up as well. And we've got something that uh, scientifically helps people to be stronger and more functional. Right. So that's, that's how I got into Fit20. Uh, yeah. In terms of how does Fit20 work, it uh, it is science-based first and foremost. In fact, Fit20 was part of the largest study ever in exercise science. 
lasting six and a half years with 14,690 people. So that's a huge sample of data. Yeah. Typically, when you have exercise science studies, they're on 20, 30, 40, 50 people. They're usually an elite or specialist population. Uh, and they don't last very long because, you know, your semi-professional, professional footballers got to yeah. do the thing that they get paid for. So um, the, the data is very compelling. And it showed that whether you were aged um, in your 30s, 50s, or 70s, whether you were male or female, uh, within 12 months, Fit20 will help you be 30 to 50% stronger. And then you can maintain that as you get older. And strength is a gateway into all the body systems to make you healthy, vibrant, and strong. So um, that, that's a little bit about the science behind it. And the way it works is you train by appointment once a week with a trainer, dressed as you are, and you do a very super slow exercise using specialist equipment. And um, you train until you can't push the weight anymore. So if you imagine this is my chest press, you're pushing it out for 10 and back. Yeah. And you have a sensor technology which shows you how slow or fast to go. So it's very precise. And you get to the point within one and a half to two minutes where you're trying to push the weight that you can't and you reach this thing called momentary muscle failure. And that's the point at which your body has an adaptive response and you get stronger as a result of it um, over the coming days. And we find that if you leave the next training more than seven days, you get weaker than you were a week ago. Whereas if you train within that five to seven or eight day window, you've got the rest, the recovery, the rebuild and the strengthening. So you can incrementally just get stronger as you go, and uh, that's how. It works. So, as, so as a customer, Mary, okay. So, so as a customer, um, it's fit twenty, and you say twenty minutes per week. Um, so that, that's, I mean, that so that seems unbelievable, right? And that's probably your biggest problem is 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 trying to get people to understand how is that possible. And then when you throw in the fact that no, you don't need to go and and change and and all of this because presumably you're not going to sweat a lot because it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a hit. It's not high intensity training and, uh, and, and, and all of that. Um, and that, how do you get that across? Because that's the bit which I, uh, I, I guess if I was looking to invest in a business, that would be my, my big question is it all sounds great. And, and, and the science could prove it absolutely. And, and I could go and try it out and it could absolutely work for me, but, how do I how do I attract customers on that on the basis of of that message? Because that that seems difficult. It shouldn't because it, but it it seems difficult because it seems unbelievable in a way. You know what I mean? It's it's so so yeah. What what kind of things? What tactics do you need to use? Yeah. So if I could say a couple of things about that, it's a great question. It's one that comes up a lot. <laughs> so yeah. well spotted. Uh, in terms of our training, it is a form of high-intensity training, but you're right, it's not high-intensity interval training where you're throwing yourself around and sweating. Yeah. Because you do the exercise really slowly in a custom-cooled room, you don't need the body to um, cool you down where you're sweating. So, yes, it's super convenient from that point of view, and people are concerned about how they look in gym gear because they've not been active for a long time, etc. It removes all of those obstacles to being more active in a space like ours. And 
the trick with the way we, um, I guess, persuade you as to the effectiveness and efficacy and viability and credibility of our training method is not to explain it. The trick is to get you into the studio and experience it. Because okay. once you do the workout, that's it. That's the end of it. You, you just get it and you're like, okay, this is incredible. I had no idea that it could be so effective and intense, but I get it now. You know, this is the equivalent. We had one chap who turned up and he said, for me to get this effect, I'd have to do a hundred um, press ups with his feet elevated and going down, which is a harder way to do a press up rather than having your feet on the ground. It's hard to do a press up on a lot of people anyway. And we produce the same effect in about 80 to 90 seconds because there's no momentum. So there's a lot of explanation and intellectually you'll get it. But of course, you know, if you're dug out in a hold, you are, but let's say you're 35. Okay. Um, you know, for, for the best part of those 30 or so years, you've got a concept of what it takes to be healthy and fit and what is a good form of exercise. Yeah. And the longer somebody has been on this planet of ours, the more preconceptions and notions they have as to what that entails. So what we do is we try not to actually fight or resist that. We just get them into the studio with a free introductory session and they do three of the five or six exercises. And by the end of it, they'll say, yeah, this is great. I'd like to give it a go. And around 80% of people um, typically will sign up for a membership after that free introductory session. So that so that's the trick basically. You're 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 marketing to get people in for that free session because you know from there the conversion rates can be very high because you've 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 effectively proven it um, for free at exactly. no cost. And, yes. and, and they've experienced. And in the UK, yeah, absolutely. And in the UK, that is the best strategy that we know of right now, because the concept recognition is low. In the Netherlands, where there are over 120 studios, you know. Um, you could drive 20 minutes from wherever you live or 30 minutes wherever you live in the Netherlands slowly and probably be in the zone or radius of a Fit20 studio. So the concept recognition is much higher. And obviously, once in an area somebody's tried it, they're going to tell their family and their friends um, about it. And again, we ask them that if they do want to share the benefits, because it's been life changing for them, not to get caught up in an explanation. Just invite them along for a free trial session. Yeah. Okay. All that right. Really no, that 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 sounds good. I I I'm based in um I'm based in North Norfolk, Neri, and I was I was having a look. Where's my closest? And I think it's in in Norwich or Helsden Way in Norwich. Yeah. So so I'm 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 planning. I, I will plan to go and have a, a free session at some point and test it for myself because you know I'm really I'm really intrigued. I'm very open minded so you, you know um, i play devil's advocate a lot but i'm actually myself very open-minded so uh, you know i've I've no problem buying into these things what one thing i would say is i know you didn't choose the name right so, you know fit 20 and it's based on 20 minutes a week um i might have called it fit 60 60 minutes a week it just sounds a bit more believable and you know three sessions a week of 20 minutes um what 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 does a typical customer, you know, does a typical customer only go for one session of 20 minutes a week? Or is it better to go for two sessions of 20 minutes a week or three? How, what's what's the, you know, what would you say to that? 
Yeah, so, you know, logically it's plausible that more is better, right? But there's a lot of science now that the technology exists to actually measure the stress response in the body um, from an exercise effect, that there is a lot of evidence that says that there is a cutoff point beyond which doing more is actually stressing the body and harming it and actually counterproductive. Um, and, and there are lots of more educated people who can talk about that at length. Uh, but generally, you know, you find that the fatigue becomes cumulative if you train more than once a week, especially if you do a true high intensity fit 20 training. It's, it's a tough training when, I mean, obviously we don't throw you in at the deep end when you start because it depends what you have and haven't done. You've got to be safe and inroad the customer gradually. But as, as you do that, um, we do often get people saying, hey, you know, this is really good. I feel like I want to do more. And we're you know, there's one chap who actually, when we'd first started, called Tony, great guy, very supportive, came along. And it's the first time I uh, actually saw Tony wear a suit um, because he'd seen our marketing material and seen people dressed in business clothes uh, from, from Holland. So I said, Tony, what are you doing? You know, you're going to court afterwards or something. And he said, no, no, I just wanted to prove that uh, this would or wouldn't work in a suit. Anyway, he didn't tear his suit because it was a really tight fit suit. And uh, that was one of his questions. You know, I've, I've done a lot of gym stuff, normally three or four times a week, split routines and all that sort of thing. Um, and I got into the science and five or 10 minutes of toing and fraying with him. And then, you know, I said, Tony, look, here are the keys to the studio. At the end of the session, if you want to come back in two or three days time and do another session, you can have the keys, knock yourself out. Of course, at the end of the session, he said, no, you can keep your keys, mate because he realized that the, rec the, the recovery and the repair is an inherent part of the protocol. And that's when the magic actually happens. Right, okay. So that's, so that's all very, very, very persuasive. Uh, so before we move on, Neri, where can, where can people who either want to maybe become a customer and, and, and have a free session, where can they go? And where can people that are maybe interested in the in the franchise in actually owning this type of business in their area, where where do each of those kind of people where, where's the best starting point for them? So your question, thank you for that. If somebody's interested in learning more about Fit Twenty and wants to try it for free um, at a local studio, then fit20.co.uk. If you Google that and just click on where it says studios, it'll bring up a map and you just go through booking for a free session. All our franchisees are very, um, what I would call softly, softly. Uh, it's literally a case of, you know, what brought you to this studio? What have you tried? What about this intrigued you? What hasn't worked, etc. Well, here's a bit about Fit20. Here's how we think it. We, we can help you achieve what you want or if we can't. Uh, and they're very thorough with the health information as well to make sure that uh, we're not doing anything to make you worse, which is important. And then you just try the introductory session. And at the end of it, you'll know whether it's right for you or not. They'll run you through the memberships and all that sort of stuff. So that's if you want to be a customer. And I'll be happy, by the way, to um, introduce you to Dan Kelly and his team there at Fit20 Norwich. They're fantastic. You'll enjoy meeting them as an individual business yeah. owner, if nothing else, as well. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the franchise opportunity, then fit20franchise.co.uk would be your best starting point. 
and um, it'll uh, give you some initial information and then you go from there. If it doesn't put you off, then you can obviously speak to somebody in more detail, otherwise find something else that's right for you. Okay, great. Thank, thanks, Neri, for that. Um, just just go back to, uh, to to where you got involved, and you 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 became the master franchisee for the UK, um, and 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 own the rights for the whole of the UK and growing the brand in the UK. Um, have you ever have you ever had a master license before? Have you ever been a master licensee of a brand before? Yeah, I was the master for BNI in India from 2004, what, 2003, that we signed the uh, option, uh, through to December 2015. Right. Okay. So you had experience in that. Mm -hmm. um, and with, with BNI, to, to go back to that, how did you get involved with BNI? So if we just take it back before your Fit20 you know, time, um, BNI. Um, which I know very, very well as a brand, um, Business Networking Institute. And how how did you get involved in that? And 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 I guess maybe even before that, when did franchising as a concept as we all know it, anyone involved in franchising at this kind of a level, business format franchising, when how 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 long had you been aware of that as a concept? Um I First, really, I'd heard of franchising as a kid, but I didn't know what the heck it was, but probably started to get my head around it in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. Um, yeah. And I and I actually went to work in the city as a trainee consulting actuary for a global consulting firm in the area of employee benefits. So we were doing pension valuations and things like that. Um, and it was at that time that I thought, you know what, this is really well paid. Everyone thinks I'm really cool, but I hate my working life. I absolutely loathe it. And I was looking to get out of it. And I thought, well, you know, everything I hate about my work situation is that I'm told when I have to go in, I'm told when I can go out, um, you know, and it, it, I'm supposed to work 35, 40 hours a week, but I actually work 50 or 60 hours a week. Uh, what would be great is if I had my own business, because then I could decide when I worked and where I worked and what it was doing, uh, etc. So that, that was the beginnings of my sort of um, entrepreneurial itch that I wanted to scratch. And it was at this time, the challenge was that I had no clue what I would do. Um, you know, you, you, especially when you've not done anything, you're scared of making your first foray into self-employment and entrepreneurship. You're scared of failing so you want to pick what's going to be like the dream ticket and of course the reality is that the majority of people that get into business the first thing you do you're going to fail and probably miserably and you've got to be prepared to get back uh, in on the saddle and uh, have another go so it was at this time that i thought do you know what if i look at all the businesses that seem to be growing that are new because i had this other thing that i didn't want to get into something that was long established because whilst it's secure and predictable, somebody else has made all the money. You know, Jimmy Goldsmith said, if you spot the bandwagon, well, you've missed it. And that always stuck in my head. I guess that's an 80s or 90s reference. Um, so I, I, I looked across the Atlantic to the USA and thought, what are the things that they do that come here? And I'd noticed McDonald's and KFC as brands 
had come over in the 70s and 80s and grew really fast. And those people who got involved in the early stages of that had had a relatively wild and free ride. So I was looking for the next big thing from the States. And I saw franchising as one big sector, regardless of the industry within that, um, to get involved in. So that's when I first became aware of franchising. Okay. And then, and then uh, BNI... When, how did that develop? How, how did you end up doing that? Um, so the, the podcast is about an hour or so, I'm guessing. I'll give you the short version. <laughs> There's a big story behind everybody, obviously. Oh, yeah. So w- while I was working in the city, I tried a number of things, um, but I was particularly stressed and burnt out. And I read a book called Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. And it was all about NLP and success and communication and strategies and things like that, which is where I was focused at the time. But in there, I think it's the seventh chapter. It was called Physiology, the Avenue of Excellence. And he made an argument that you could have all these lofty goals and motivation and dreams and desires. But if in the morning your alarm clock went off and you you know, struggled to roll out of bed and you just wanted to hit snooze, then you needed to look at your lifestyle, diet, etc. And at the time, I was experiencing some health challenges, and I thought, you know what? This makes absolute sense. I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to try this for three or four weeks, like he's challenging me to in the book here. And I felt he was speaking to me in this book, having tried all sorts of other things. And within a month, you know, a lot of my symptoms disappeared, my allergies, my energy improved, etc. And um, I just became an evangelist about what was essentially a uh, vegan-type lifestyle. to clean and uh, get moderate amounts of exercise daily and people noticed that in me as well and I thought you know what this could be something that I certainly want to learn more about so I actually spent time traveling to the states for courses to learn from people because in the UK you know people hardly knew what a vegetarian was let alone a vegan Um, and people started asking me for help And it became very, very fulfilling and gratifying to be able to share what I knew to help them. And they got amazing results. And I ended up by default leaving the city and starting up a consulting business in wellness. Right. And it was at that time that a gentleman called James Sanderson, who was a franchisee with BNI, invited me along to a BNI meeting. I went along. He'd invited me to a meeting at seven o'clock. I said, yeah, sure, James, uh, maybe we could get for dinner afterwards. And there was a long pause on the phone. He said, you think this is in the evening, don't you? I said, oh, you're telling me it's in the morning. <laughs> I didn't know there were two seven o'clocks in the day, you know. Like that. Anyway, um, I, I went along and halfway through the meeting, I actually got up and made my way towards the exit, not because I didn't like it, but because I thought, do you know what? This is fantastic. There are a group of people here who are all going to look out for business opportunities on my behalf. And all I have to do is if I meet someone or know someone who could use their products or services, I put in a good word of recommendation for them to talk to you about it. And I thought, this is fantastic as a startup. I'm in. So I went to the back, didn't know how much it cost. And um, I put it on an American Express card, which he refused because they didn't take American Express. So I did a little balance transfery thing, and uh, we were we were off to the races. And I got involved in BNI that way. And about three months later, at another Tony Robbins event, at the front row at the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre in London, um, 
was an event called Wealth Mastery. There was somebody probably about 10 meters in the front row and we locked eyes and you were supposed to go up to a stranger and pledge allegiance to, not allegiance, but pledge to play full out in this event and leave your preconceptions and uh, prejudices outside the door. Uh, and that lady was Catherine. She invited me out for a birthday uh, in July of 1999. So I drove up to Yorkshire. I'd never been that far north in my life before. And I didn't go back. I stayed. And right. within, within three weeks, we knew we were going to build a future together. And we talked about building life together. And it was at that stage that I thought, hey, you know, the people who started BNI in the UK, Martin and Jilly Lawson, have been after me to get involved as a franchisee. I'd always said no. I phoned them up on a Tuesday and Catherine and I drove down to London on the Saturday and had a chat with Martin and Jilly. And we basically bought the franchise rights for West Yorkshire. And wow. got started from there. I didn't know anybody except Catherine, who back then was a part owner in a contemporary art gallery and part-time primary school teacher. So no business contacts. And we lived in a, well, we still do live in a village called Home Fur, which is better known for last of the summer wine. So it's, you know, it's not a hub of commercial. It certainly wasn't then uh, a hub of commercial activity that would suit a BNI group. The nearest place was Leeds. But, uh, right. Yeah. So that's how we got started. Two or three years into it, I had the bright idea in the shower one day that, hey, you know what? This would work really, really well in India. So I approached um, the founder of BNI, Dr. Miser, and said to him, I'd be interested. And he said, well, I'd be interested if it's you. So we set about building a business there. And um, I built it being a permanent full-time resident in the UK with a business partner out there. And we built it into their best territory at the time. And also now most of the best practice in the organization has its origins with stuff that started in or around BNI in India. So it's quite a proud achievement. Brilliant. And and so the developing India and growing India, uh, how long over, how, what kind of period of time were you involved with BNI? Uh, for India? Yeah, for India, yeah, yeah. So November, 2004, we started the first group at the Indian Merchants Chamber in South Mumbai. And then in December 2015, I was out of the business. So what's that about? Twelve years. Yeah, right. And uh, and the and the Yorkshire side of the BNI business. What's what happened there? Yeah, so that that continued um, from I think April 2000. I launched the first group at the David Lloyd Club in North Leeds, and built that up. Acquired three more. Um, sub-franchised territories, so basically all of Yorkshire, a bit of Derbyshire, a bit of Lincolnshire, north and northeast Lincolnshire. And in November 2022, I sold all my regions back to the master franchisor for the UK. Okay. And, to focus, and focus full-time on Fit20. Exactly. I was going to say, so this is where Fit20 comes in. So you... you, you uh, You'd obviously you were trading one for another in a way, um, and uh, and 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 moving along. Just talking about a BNI, um, because I I know the power of um, you know BNI and networking uh, in that way, um, and the kind of referral business you can get get from that. 
I, I just want you to talk generally about about refer you know referral business and networking in the way that that BNI was set up. What you learned from that, how you will probably always still apply so many of those principles that you learned working with BNI, um, because I, I just think it's an incredibly valuable part for any business owner to think about how to create more referral, uh, you know, clients or customers. Um, and, 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 and some of your tips as to how to go about that, because I think a lot of business owners I speak to and franchisors as well and franchisees, they really struggle with that. Um, they really struggle knowing what to do. And um, yes, you can say, join your local BNI, you know, network that that's a good start, I'm sure. But, but beyond that, what else can people be doing? What would you say about, about referral marketing? Yeah. So referrals are hands down for the amount of time and money you spend um, the one of, if not the best return on investment of your time and money. And there's also a lot of data that backs up the fact that a referral customer is easier to convert, lasts longer, and more likely to refer on people to you. So you'd be nuts not to have it as a part of your marketing mix, uh, for sure. It's not the only way, but it's certainly one of the best ways. And I have personal first-hand experience of having literally tens of thousands of business owners uh, or senior decision makers experiencing those sorts of results. Uh, and something like a BNI group in your area is fantastic. It's always the case that, you know, BNI follows the same system wherever you are in the world or the country, but each group has its own unique mix of people. So get along there and see the people and get a feel that there's a good chemistry uh, or potential for good chemistry with you because it's relationship marketing. And um, in terms of referrals, you know, the best way to get referrals is to ask for them. Um, Walter Vendel, the founder of Fit20, says, you know, you have to be willing to be humble and put yourself out there and say, you know, Doug, would you be would you be willing to help me? I need help. Would you be willing to help me? How? Well, you know, the results you've been getting with Fit20. Can you think of one or two other people who you think would benefit and appreciate the same thing? And of course, it's a very soft, no pressure uh, type of request. The trick with all of this is to build the relationship first and build what I think Stephen Covey, uh, the late great author, used to say, um, you know, you need to deposit in the emotional bank account first before you can withdraw from it. So, you know, you and I build a relationship up. I hopefully add value in some way and continue to do that. And it's only when we've got that and it feels natural and effortless to do so but that's the best time to ask. You can do things to accelerate that process, um, but I guess that's possibly a discussion for another day. No, that's uh, no, that that's 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 great, Neri. And um, I, I think it's it, it's something that every business should be considering as part of their marketing strategy is how how to go about create creating more referral inquiries or leads, and then because from there good things happen. Uh, we know that personally from our side of things, we. Yeah. We put quite a lot of focus on that for sure. And um, and and I, I did want to ask, you know, with Fit20, just to, to dig a little bit deeper into how into how you encourage franchisees or help franchisees to to do that. Yes, that's a really simple one that you've you've just that a simple example you've just given whereby 
you ask your existing customers who are happy with the results and and the relationship if you like to 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 spread the word a bit but but what else are you doing beyond that um what what can be done what can be done centrally uh, maybe from a franchise or perspective to help franchisees with referral marketing um so we we run a lot of training um particularly with my own background and we recommend to every franchisee that they engage with a local BNI group or something similar. Uh, if it's not BNI, there are others. Um, I think BNI is probably the best one that I'm aware of um, in most of the UK. Uh, but there are also more casual networking groups you can go to. They meet maybe once a month or in the evening. You know, find what's right for you. It's about, uh, in, with, a, with a Fit20 context, it's about you as the business owner, the franchise owner, being the face of Fit20 in your local community. And it's about getting out there and getting to know people and, and be known. Uh, and if you can help others or collaborate with them, then to reach out and do that at joint ventures uh, or events. So Duncan, um, Duncan Atwood, who runs our Exeter studio and soon to open one in Torquay as well, is in the final stages of negotiating lease there. You know, when he first started with Fit20, it was not practical for him because he'd relocated from Birmingham um, to X. Well, he was actually living in Bude, so it was an hour and a half to two hour drive every day to go to Exeter for him from Bude because his wife was teaching there. Um, it was not practical for him to start in a BNI group on a Wednesday morning at seven o'clock. But a year into lockdown, he started doing a lot more networking. And from there, he's really got the bug and he's involved very actively, more widely, right across that area now with the local BNI director support team as well. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you want to get out there and, and get known. Um, and, and as you go, you learn. But at Fit20 ourselves, like I say, we, we teach people how to do that in a structured way. And uh, we find that our most successful franchisees are the ones that embrace in some form of networking in their local community. Right. And if I ask you about, because there's the there's the physical uh, kind of networking side where you're actually meeting people in the flesh, face to face and, and all of that. Um, but there's also the kind of the digital world as well, um, where you can reach people, not in quite the same way, but but you can still create some trust and credibility, which can lead to referrals is slightly different again but what what advice or what do you do what would you say is a good way to go about that because i think it's it's easy to it's easy for people to understand okay you've got to get up if seven in the morning it's seven in the morning but you know that's before that the day starts so that's that's actually a great time to to go and do do this um doesn't impact on your working day effectively um and it's a massive benefit but on a digital side how what can people be doing to, to take advantage of it? Yeah, so if I go back to BNI, there, there are online meetings. Um, the organization pivoted to fully online during the whole COVID thing, and some of those groups have remained. In fact, I know when I was the franchisee, we launched a number of groups from scratch that were purely online and were going to remain online. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, they're still doing well and uh, the members are you know, doing lots of referral business. So, so that's one avenue, but then there are lots of platforms like LinkedIn and other digital opportunities as well. And I think you have to decide whether you're going to be a sell, sell, sell type of person or a relate, collaborate type of person. 
if you're on LinkedIn, you're probably experiencing somebody who'll send you a connection request with a well thought out um, introductory uh, message. And then automatically, because they've signed up for one of the premium uh, LinkedIn memberships, you get a bunch of sales pitches, <laughs> you know. And for me, that's a turn off because it, I feel like I've been, you know, prematurely solicited, really. Uh, I, I'm happy to connect with people and try and add value to them and vice versa. But if it's just a veil pitch, I think people are doing themselves and their potential opportunities more harm. It's very short-sighted. We call that hunting rather than farming and collaborating. So yeah. I think if you're respectful and mindful, because, you know, at the end of that other side of the screen is another human being with similar aspirations, hopes, dreams, fears, um, et cetera. And, and I think if we connect at a human level, in person is the best because you get all the extra energy and nonverbal cues that you pick up. But I think uh, the whole digital space is a good stepping stone and inroad into that. Yeah, I, I, what 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 you're saying, Neri, really is that every digital platform can be used in a different way, and you can sell, 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 or, or, or as you say, you can you can do it in a in a different way, which is through collaboration and building a relationship and adding value to the to that person and giving them something that they appreciate first, um, and and naturally then interest gets shown both ways uh and and that that can lead to good things so no i i i totally get it and i i'm i have to be honest i'm sick of linkedin i mean i use linkedin a lot i really value it but um i'm i'm kind of sick of it from the perspective that i mean everyone's doing the same thing they just sell 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 trying to be you know trying to do it in a clever way but it's all automated it it's it's dry, it drives me mad um, tr yeah. trying to keep up with LinkedIn because I have a lot of connections um, because I'm a bit of a um, I'm I'm I easily accept a connection request pro probably unwisely but but over the years I have you know been quite quite easy target really um, and and now my my inbox is just an absolute nightmare so I I, you know, I get I hear where you're coming from and it's very very rare that I get something that stops me and, and actually makes me want to go further um, every now and then. And, um, and, and that every now and then is, is really what you're talking about. It's um, it's, 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 yeah, they're not just selling me something. Um, yeah. I guess if I could um, phrase it this way, you know, you, you need to figure out whether you're going to be the kind of person who's going to promote or attract. Yeah. And, and I think when you work out which one you're going to be, you know, attract rather than promote, everything you do is driven by that. It's it's like having your values set. You know, they they govern your decision making and thought process. Uh, and I guess it is part of that. It's about collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. And so so back to Fit Twenty and and um, Neri, I wanted to understand where you are now as a business. Like, how many franchisees? How many locations? And what the vision is, what, you know, what, uh, what you're looking to achieve in the UK, you know, if we're just talking about the UK. So the lower end estimate for the UK is that <clears throat> the market will comfortably support 500 studios in the UK and Northern Ireland. Uh, we're currently on nine locations, one of which is in Norwich, not too far from you. Yep. And we're due to open another one in Halifax, which is our 10th location. And we've got a pipeline of um, inquiries 
serious inquiries. One actually, when this call finishes, a chat for um, Warrington and Salford. Um, and we're also attracting, I think, a much better quality and caliber of candidate looking at our franchise as well. People who are interested in multiple units, uh, professional, have the right sort of um, financial background um, and capability as well. And uh, also understanding uh, what what the business is and what the potential is as well. I think the media is talking a lot more about health and strength in particular as, as an inroad mm -hmm. to being um, healthier and fitter as you age. Okay. And, and one thing that popped into my mind is USPs. You know, every business got to have a USP. What, what are yours? Because... I, I can I can think, oh, just I'll just do my press up slowly, really slowly, because you've just told me that's a good thing to do. And yeah. but but there's more to it than that. Uh, uh, tell me a bit about your USPs and whether it's whether it's the, the, the science side, the machinery, the technology, the, the what 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 makes up the USP set. Yeah. All, of, all of those things you talked about. So, you know, I think we're one of the few brands that does what it says in our payoff, which is fit in 20 minutes a week. That doesn't mean the rest of the time for 167 hours and 40 minutes, you sit on the couch and eat tortilla chips and watch TV all day and binge watch. It just means you have the capacity to be more recreationally active. So you don't have to do high intensity stuff um, or go for stupid runs because you feel you need to, not because you want to. So I think that's the most important thing. In terms of the training protocol, the reason we train slowly is because there's no momentum. So your muscles are working at a very deep level and you're recruiting all the major muscle fiber types, all four of them, to push that weight rather than the weight carrying itself through momentum. And there are lots of small adjustments and tweaks. You know, this whole concept of marginal gains, which was popularized by Team Sky Sports and the British Olympic cycling team. Yeah. Like that, there are lots of incremental gains to add to the intensity and effectiveness of the training method um, in the way we train. We have sensor technology, et cetera. But also we've worked with a number of franchise consultants historically. And, you know, it's not that we were the only brand they worked with. They've worked with hundreds of other brands internationally. And they were really impressed with the level of attention and detail that we have in the business in terms of not just helping the members get really good, effective, safe training, but we take that level of attention to our franchisee support and onboarding as well. So we use an off-the-shelf software system, but we've bespoke it and the level of investment that the international franchise holders uh, or franchise givers in the Netherlands have put into that is, you know, impressive by a third party's account and they get to look at an overview of what other people do so you know there, there's lots of things like that and i guess the challenge for me is that i'm so close to it i take it a little bit or well that's how we do it we were chatting before this call about you know some of the challenges in the franchising industry and i'm a i'm involved in a couple of other facebook groups and things like that and you see people um having challenges and you just think oh thought you would just know that but of course i take for granted that i've been involved in the industry in the sector for 24 25 years and so on and so forth um, but yeah we're what we would call a full formula a full service franchise um, so any key aspect of the business is systemized documented protocols and we keep tweaking it and improving it
Right. And um, I'd one last question, Neri, and then um, and then we'll we'll call it uh, we'll call call time on it. I, I just wanted to get your advice. So this is really, I, I guess, that maybe more high net worth investors who are listening, who are they either are already a multi unit, multi business owner. Maybe they're looking for the next uh, the the next cool thing to add to their portfolio, cool brands uh, or, or, or business um, at, a, at a master level. So country rights uh, and, and developing a brand in a country. What what tips would you give them to making sure they make better decisions as to the brand that they choose to invest in um, and then develop? Because I think um, over the years, there's way more failures, way more than successes at at this kind of level uh, of of brands trying to find a master, and and master licensees choosing a brand. Um, I, I, it's just such a high failure rate um, that you know any any advice you can give because you've been there and you've done it twice. Um, what would what would you say to that those high net worth investors? I'd say a, a couple of things. Obviously, it's it's a big thing, and it depends on the individual. Because whilst the one thing that might be common with with those high net worth investors is their financial capacity, and they've got a couple of brands. Each of those are unique in their own way in terms of their skill sets, strengths, and capabilities that they bring to the table, and also their sector expertise. And I know that once you have um, the back office systems and processes set up for one brand you can pretty much cookie cutter that across. And there are a lot of big brands, particularly in the US, that do that across food, hospitality, leisure, fitness, et cetera, um, and some in the UK as well. But um, a couple of things come to mind to answer your question a bit more directly. One is just because somebody has the money, it doesn't mean that the brand owner should sell them the franchise. That's one of the big mistakes. I think their own due diligence um, needs to be on a par with their eagerness to expand internationally because it's easy to sell it now but then having a failure harms the brand and your reputation for future territories so that's one side of it um, so i think if you know if, if i was rolling out the fit 20 brand and i'm pleased to say that they tend to do this they're very careful who they allow into um, the inner circle as it were as well um, as somebody who's a high net worth individual, you know, these people are clearly, if they've got multiple brands, they've clearly got some track record and experience. Uh, one thing I know with Fit20, the reason I got into it as a master is that it, it isn't just a fad that's going to be passing. You know, in, in the few short years I've been involved in the fitness industry, I've seen brands come and go and they've put in seven, eight figure investments and disappeared off the face of the planet. And I'm talking about just the UK and Ireland, not Europe wide or globally. Um, so you've got to look at, you know, does this thing have some longevity? And then look at how does this align with what else we want to do? And I know one of the reasons is to look at diversification of your portfolio, but there is an alignment in terms of systems and processes and you know, it's not something I have a huge level of experience of, so I'm hesitant to give advice on something I'm not an expert on. But I have worked with Fit20 as a master and 
obviously with BNI as a franchisee and franchisor, and there are some common issues and challenges, and of course the territory you're involved in. That's that's a key thing to consider as well. Great. No, that's 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 helpful, Mary. I think um, you're absolutely right. I think the the longevity is is a key, uh, making sure. Um, and and then, um, like you did, you you actually you 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 came at it from um, being a customer um, or a client first. That's actually what sold you. That that's one of the reasons why you became a master franchisee in the first place. So, if you can't if you can't get on board the product or the service or both, then you, you're not going to invest in it in the first place anyway. So you've got to throw yourself in as a as a customer or a client, and um, and make sure that 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 works for you. I think so. Um, and those are yeah, those those are I think really really good tips as as a starting point. Yeah, it's it. really important not to just be transactional. Um, certainly with Fit Twenty, I can't speak for other brands in the franchise space. Um, you know, I've got a couple of gentlemen who are here, like I said, for Warrington Stroke Salford. And um, I think he's good to go. But one of the things we said is even if you took all the money that was required to get involved in our franchise out of your back pocket and put it on the table, he'd say no. Because the reason they're here is to experience the studio. And we want some sort of emotional connection because we find that unless you have that, you're not going to fly, especially in the early stages where concept and brand recognition need to be developed in the market. You need that extra passion for the brand. Otherwise, people just see that it's just, you know, pound signs that you're seeing rather than a fair exchange of adding value as well. So, yeah, I'm with you 100% on that, Doug. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Neri, look, I'll um, I'll, I'll let you introduce me to the to the Norwich guys because, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm keen now to go and, and have, have my own session because uh, never never done this before, actually. So, and I do a lot of... I do a lot of exercise and I enjoy it. Um, and I'm not really into high intensity interval training that much. Uh, I do a lot of um, kind of zone two training and things like that and uh, for, for fitness. And so this, this I can see how this could really add add into what I do. Um, so I'm really, really interested. So, um, but but for now, Neri, we'll leave it there. And, you know, thanks so much for, for giving your time and um, hopefully we'll bump into you in the future. Yeah, I look forward to it. And thank you for having me uh, on this. And I think it's fantastic what you're doing and uh, wish you continued success. Yeah, and to you. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Neri. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too.